They'd be playing the music there. I was, uh, I was getting nervous. No commercials, no subscriptions, no network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. Welcome to another edition of BOA Audio Season Ten, the final season, the final journey into the unknown uh, with Ben All of America in the seasonal format. Don't freak out, folks. Um, and as I mentioned on last week's show, we're going through a little wave, a flap, if you will, of. Uh, First-time guests, long-overdue guests, uh, people I should have had on over the years, but they fell through the cracks, and uh, I wanted to make sure I remedied that. And uh, I had the list of these folks. I've, I've kind of parsed it down over time because it's like, oh, Jesus, a lot of people I wish I had interviewed. Um, but there were like a handful left that I really wanted to get to here for Season 10. And uh, as, as the fates would allow it, it turned out uh, – Tonight's guest was on the list, and we ran into each other over the weekend in Portland, Maine. So it was, it was in the, uh, it was in the ether. It was like fated to be. So it is uh, with great pleasure that I welcome to the program Robert Schneck. He is a, uh, he's an author. He's a collector of strange and unusual stories from America's past. He's wildly popular. And people have been recommending I get him on the show for years, and I, I've always like, I, I'm, I'm just a lazy producer. I'm not a great host either, but I'm a lazy, <laughs> lazy producer too. So it, it never happened. But we got him on the show tonight. Now he's the author of The President's Vampire, Mrs. Wakeman versus the Antichrist, and uh, The Bye Bye Man, and other strange but true tales. And if uh, the title of that last book sounds familiar, folks, that's because they actually made a movie about the bye-bye man story uh we're gonna try and pick his brain a little bit about that process uh when we get talking but welcome to the show robert schneck thank you so much for uh for coming on the show and, and doing it on a really short notice because uh I, like i sprung this on you i think monday morning oh it's my pleasure tim i'm happy to be here and yes it is way way overdue yes yes but we're gonna make up for it here uh on the program tonight um now, generally, we start with the bio and background, but I want to—I uh, want—I got to mention this weekend's event because a lot of people know that I was there and I, you were there. And I just got to say, uh, kudos to Lauren Coleman and the folks at the International Cryptozoology Museum. This was uh, just an absolutely outstanding, uh, unforgettable day and, and weekend, really, of 
of just it was like a sensory overload it was it was like cool thoughts overload it was uh uh cool things over it was just really amazing and and top to bottom having been to a number of these things folks this show had to be easily you know one of the most professionally and and classiest and well produced and 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 just down to the tiniest detail you know no no you know nothing went unnoticed with this conference they really 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 put their heart and soul into this and uh they raised the bar i think for paranormal conferences because uh, anytime i go to the next one i'm going to get the itinerary on a sheet of paper and i'm going to be like lauren's museum had it on glossy cardstock <laughs> so that's that's how that's how uh, right robert oh well yeah i actually this was only the second one i've ever been to and uh, I, I know that the thing that really impressed me, and you know, everything you said is right, but one of the things that really got my attention was how many young people were there. Yes, yes. Because from what I understand, a lot of these conferences, um, the, the, the cane, crutch, and wheelchair brigade is pretty well represented. Oh, yeah, absolutely, the blue hairs. The blue yeah. hairs, yeah, and and my hair is getting blue, so I can say that. <laughs> uh, but this this conference, there were young people. There were young people speaking. There was a panel of young people, and there were young people attending. Mm. Which uh, you know, I realize that this is probably has a lot to do with the popularity of things like hunting Bigfoot on television, and uh, you know, reality programming. I don't care. Whatever gets them in there. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I, I wonder how many people of my generation got interested in it because of Leonard Nimoy on In Search Of. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, definitely. I was influenced by uh, Unsolved Mysteries. So it's mm-hmm. like I can't begrudge some kid that's, <laughs> that, that likes it because he likes big, Bigfoot hunters or whatever it's right. called. Yeah, so, you know, even though I hate the word squatching, I really do hate that word. But I do too, uh, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just an ugly word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But... Um, but having said that, uh, you know, whatever whatever works, and like I said, it, it was just so great to see them. And, yes, everything went off so smoothly. It was uh, – even even the uh, the uh, technology, everything worked. Yeah, yeah, it was it was great. And I'm glad you mentioned that because that was one of the things that stood out to me. The young, the young people – I've never been to a paranormal conference uh, that had a youth panel. Right. Like that was, and and you know something, I, I'll 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 admit it. Like going into it, I was like, ah, that sounds kind of silly or something. But afterwards, I was like, that was awesome. That was yeah. that was like, that was so uplifting. Mm-hmm. You know, that's really and, and the I feeling it, I got. I think it also points to the intelligence that Lauren puts into this stuff. Mm. You know, uh, he he really is into cryptozoology for the long haul. I mean, you go to his museum, and one of the first things he'll tell you is that he has it set up uh, to keep going after he's dead. Yeah, you know? yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's a yeah, there's a macabre element to it, but it's like <laughs> only I can. That's it, that's so Lauren. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. And, and and that's you know, that's one of the reasons why he is uh, just so valuable to anyone who's interested in paranormal. And again, for me personally, he's just been a major influence on uh, what I on some of the things I've written and some of the things I've thought about. Mm. Uh, to tell you the truth, I had 
I, I mean, the paranormal has been part of my life since the beginning. Not that I saw ghosts or anything when I was a kid. I just I picked up a copy of Frank Edwards' Stranger Than Science. My mother had left it on her night table. I think I was nine, maybe. And the cover was, I remember this very vividly, the cover was held on with a piece of electrical tape. That's how many times it had been read and passed around. Oh, wow. Well, I read that book, and that did it. That was that was, that was what I was going to do. Uh, I got away from it for a long time, but then I picked up a copy of Mysterious America, and uh, that just pulled me back in. So, but on top of that, and uh, Lauren's interest in suicide, which has also gotten me interested in suicide, and his interest in uh, words, names, and dates, and things like that. Uh, it just, like I said, it did a lot to pull me back into this. Yeah, yeah, that's what I. That's another thing I really appreciate about Lauren is that he covers all the all the different sort of like. He, he, it's hard to explain to some people who don't know this, but it's like he has that whole side sort of area of like they kind of cross streams at the killer clowns, but and then it's yes. like, and he also looks at like mass murders and, and and mass shootings and copycat effect and synchronistic language and things like that, where it's like this is the Bigfoot guy. It's yeah, like, yes, well, yes, it is. He's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and uh, again, it's one of those things a lot of people don't know, but they should, if they, if they're interested in uh, the things he does, they should take a look at that because it is fascinating in its own right. Absolutely. So that that's our our part about uh, putting over Lawrence Conference. It was amazing, folks. And I tried to tell you guys when you're on when he was on in May. I told you to go. So. Uh, well, I didn't, he, yeah. the, the thing was sold out. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. It was sold out, and it's funny. The common, yeah, two two strands, strands from that, what we're talking about. It's like I was laughing about it, but as I was walking in from having a cigarette, there were these two there were these two young people who were way cooler than me. They were, <laughs> some people would call them hipsters, but I'll respect them. They were, they were, they were just playing cooler than me. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that makes me an unhipster or not, but... And uh, and as I got, you know, the sign had a big sold out on it, and they're behind me walking in. She's got like tights that like have tears in them and stuff. That's why, you know, it's like, oh, geez, this these people, they they wouldn't like me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we get to the thing, and I hear like the dude behind me. He's with her, and he's like, oh man, sold out. And I was like, wow, they're they're here for the Bigfoot thing. This is awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it really is. And and like I said, it makes me it makes me happy for the future. Absolutely. So especially folks, when you compare it to something like ufology, which oh is, god, yeah, which is just going crazy. It's really it's it's entered the period of senile dementia. I'm uh, glad you said that because I was going to hold back on this part of the, my <laughs> my observation. I, we didn't get a chance to talk. I'll, first, folks. You wouldn't believe it, but I'm, like, incredibly shy at these things. I don't like to really – I'm a terrible networker. So it wasn't until, like, the very end that I put two and two together and realized Robert was Ro- the same Robert Schnack, even though, you know, some other – so it, was, <laughs> it wasn't until, like, the very end on the last day, last morning, where I'm like, oh! <laughs> so that's why – and the other part is, unlike, like, every paranormal conference I've been to in so long, from the moment I sat down at 8 in the morning, I, like, really wanted to see these presentations. And it's like, usually I'm really jaded about it, but I was like, they, they were just really interesting and, and interesting sort of takes on things. So uh, Robert and I, we didn't cross paths until, uh, until the last day. But before I went up to Portland, 
I went to the Exeter UFO Festival. A wonderful event, uh, great people, fantastic speakers, but a completely different vibe. Like the, it just felt like kitschy and retro. That was the that was the vibe from like the the festival feel and the town and just the whole like UFO mythos. The, you know the whole it's you you know aliens everywhere, and it was just like kitschy and retro. It was like night and day with the with the crypto conference. And, and you, you know, people are arguing about things that no one's cared about in 20 years. Um, you know, everyone's suing each other. Oh, yeah. Everyone hates each other. There are these little cultish groups, you know, these little um, cliques that follow this ufologist and this ufologist. And it's just, uh, it's it's not a healthy place to be. Not yet, anyway. You know, the, these things have a way of uh, coming around, and something will happen that'll bring it back to life. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. It'll it'll mutate. It'll mutate into something else. Uh, you know, it was like ufology started out with nuts and bolts, flying saucers. Well, no, actually, it didn't. It started out uh, with a lot of spiritualism and mysticism. Then it became about nuts and bolts, flying saucers, and then it all became about abduction. Yeah. And that was actually where I, I mean, my introduction to ufology was attending an intruders conference. Uh, oh, wow. The, the intruders organization that Bud Hopkins and... Um, is it Stan Jacobs? Uh, uh, David Jacobs. David Jacobs, yeah. They were both there, and there were people, uh, there were about 300 people uh, in the Edgar Casey Foundation in New York City, and I think I was the only one there that never claims to have been abducted. And <laughs> it was about three hours long, and when I left, I felt like my brain had been taken out, put into a blender, and poured back in. Oh, wow. It was a bizarre experience, but I'm still glad I went because I had a chance to meet Bud Hopkins, and, uh, you know, it, it just... It, but there was a, a pervasive sense of unreality to the whole thing. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And as, as opposed to this, where at least, you know, hey, it's either out there or it isn't. Yes, yes, that was... Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, the whole... The whole UFO thing is just so complex now and, and exhausting. And it's funny, you you literally, like, described what happened, uh, in a sense, at the event. And I, 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 uh, I'll just tell the story, I guess. I, this is not a slam on anyone, folks. I feel bad even doing it. But a guy in the meet and greet asked a question of Rich Dolan about a story from a book that came out in the year 2000. Um, oh, God, involving... Uh, Werner von Braun saying that like they were going to do false flag attacks and stuff like that. You know, first it was going to be uh, communists and then terrorists and then aliens and then asteroids or something like that. Um, then, and he told this to his assistant and it got leaked and you know got into the UFO press and finally got into a book in the year 2000. It was like, do you know anything more about it? Essentially, was like the question. And it's like, dude, the book came out, came out like 17 years ago. Like, no, you know. <laughs> No one knows anything more about it. It's just what the lady says. He told he told her. Right. It's like Roswell and things like the fact that people are still finding new angles on Roswell is astonishing to me. But uh, you know, Nick Redfern just put a book out a few years ago that has a, a whole different take on it. So yeah. you know, again, I I generally stay out of ufology though. I, I generally I avoid ufology. I avoid the Kennedy assassination and uh, one or two other things, because 
it's you just get down the rabbit hole a little too fast and a little too a little too deep for my taste. Yeah, it's very it's like quicksand. Yeah, it's like quicksand. Yeah, yeah. So that was uh, yeah that was. That was the, the Lawrence, uh, the International Cryptozoology Museum's conference. And folks, uh, go to their website, find out more. They're going to do it again next year. Um, it was really awesome. It was, it was really, really awesome. And hats off to Lauren and company and, uh, and all the folks over there. Jeff Muse, too. He's the unsung hero over there. He does so much work. Uh, I was telling him, everyone wants to come hug Lauren. It's like, someone give Jeff a hug. Would you, Jesus? The guy's doing all kinds of stuff. It's, all, it's almost enough to make you forgive Lauren for starting it at 7 a.m. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah, so check that out, folks, because uh, it was really awesome. Now, you kind of you kind of teased a little bit about the bio background, uh, talking about some of the early influences, but I guess talk about what, you know, led you – because we were, I was kind of talking about this in a sense uh, over the weekend with some folks. It's like some people are happy to, to, to be entertained and interested in this stuff, and other people feel compelled to produce stuff like I do and you do. So mm-hmm. how, you know, what, what made you, what led you to becoming, you know, an author about this stuff, a collector of these stories and, and a teller of these stories? Well, uh, again, it started with Frank Edwards. And Stranger Than Science, which uh, I still love that book because it it casts such a wide net. You can he at one what what is it thirty or forty itsy bitsy little chapters? Uh, maybe they're two or three pages each, and a lot of them are really just uh, paraphrased uh, old. They're, they're paraphrased clippings from Fate magazine, but it was that was how I was introduced to it, and I loved it. You know, it took it just made the world seem so incredibly exotic and full of full of magic, if you like, if you don't you know if you don't mind that using that word for it. Uh, from there, I went to uh, my libraries had two books. They had On the Track of Unknown Animals by Bernard Huvelman, mm. and they had Abominable Snowmen: Legend Comes to Life by Ivan Sanderson. Those were the first two big books I ever read. And they uh, they left a mark, to say the least. Uh, I, I Ivan Sanderson is if, if I ever had a childhood hero, it would probably be Ivan Sanderson, just because he just did so many things, and they were so exciting. And uh, you know, he wrote about j- walking around the jungle wearing pajamas and uh, seeing these incredible animals. It was just again, it was it was exciting to me. And as it turned out, he actually had a, an office very close to where I grew up. I didn't know it at the time. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, I wish I did. I Well, anyway, that that's neither here nor there. But uh, I always stuck with whatever was strange, whatever was odd, and whatever whatever people, whatever made them uncomfortable, I generally gravitated towards. So... Uh, I was in, you know, I was reading about serial killers before serial killers were cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was always interested in visiting any place that might be might be haunted, mm. that might have that might have a history of something horrible that happened there. Just being on the spot fascinated me. The uh, and and so of course monsters went along right with it. So did witchcraft and the. Uh, uh, flying saucers, always to a lesser extent. Uh, my brother loves sci-fi, and that kind of he he had more of an interest in it than me, though he always stuck with sci-fi and the saucer thing. Never really, it was never really became a part of his life. But, right. And again, for me, it was just 
I, I, the only stories I really liked were the ones that were so bizarre they didn't make any sense at all. Like, right, right. Yeah. Uh, they, those just, uh, you know, when I read those, they just, uh, I, I, my, my jaw just hangs open that these stories are so strange. Mm. But uh, at the same time, I was also very interested in folklore and history, regular mainline history. So everything kind of came together when I was in my mid-30s because my my education is actually an illustration of all things. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so I, mean, I have a degree in illustration. Uh, I, I worked as an illustrator for years, so I was illustrating magazine articles and things like that, and I just... I got tired of illustration. I didn't care for the business, although I did enjoy illustrating, but the business didn't agree with me, and it was all changing to computers. And I, I realized I needed a job where I didn't have to deal with anybody at all. <laughs> so I decided, you know, writing worked because I didn't have to leave the house, and I, there were plenty of things that genuinely fascinated me. And again, anything that was anomalous and didn't fit mm. – just uh, that was just where I headed, and so I began writing it. Actually, the first piece I ever wrote was uh, from a serial killer book. Strangely enough, it was from a book that was a collection of writings by serial killers. I just remember the publisher because the publisher was Bloat, which I just thought was a cool <laughs> name for a press. Yeah, yeah, Bloat Press, and they had a section on a notebook that was written by Charles Starkweather, the Nebraska spree killer back in the 50s, who became like the quintessential juvenile delinquent that adults were scared of in the 1950s. Um, anyway, when he was a young man, he said that the figure of death used to appear outside of his window and scream when he was a young man growing up in... Uh, Oh, gosh, what's the big... Uh, Lincoln, Lincoln, Nebraska. And, and then and he even included a drawing of it, and he drew this... It's just sort of a bulky shape that comes to a point on top. And as he was... As I'm reading this, I'm saying, hmm, it screamed, it appeared outside his window, and it had a bulky shape with a point on top. That sounds like a Bigfoot. Oh, wow. And... Uh, I, of course, I, I have no proof. It's only what Charles Starkweather wrote. But at that time, Fate magazine was going through a change. It had become a large size magazine. Oh, I remember that area. Yeah. Uh, so, and they they were they were trying for a more for a hipper, more Fortean times uh, kind of style. Yeah. And they were they were publishing stories that were a little edgier. Uh, they ended up losing a lot of subscribers because of that. And uh, I remember particularly they ran a uh, a story on a penis temple in Thailand, I think. Wow. A lot of, yeah. yeah, that that offended a lot of their older readers. Anyway, um, I wrote this article on on Starkweather's Bigfoot sightings, or well, maybe Bigfoot, possible Bigfoot sightings, and. I was very, very insecure about my writing, so I made sure to include an illustration of it, uh, of, of, uh, of, the, of the story. Oh, that's clever, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was really insecure about my writing at the time. I still am, which is why it takes me so long to write anything. But, um, but they liked it, they printed it, and well, that did it. Oh, and then what happens? I get an email from Lauren Coleman. 
asking if he can use it in one of his books. Well, that more or less sealed my fate. Uh, So from there I began. uh, Most of my writing tends to involve an element of horrific violence, insanity, and the paranormal. That's the trifecta for me. Yeah. Uh, So I I was drawn to stories that involved at least some of those elements. And um, I I began to write the... um, the socially redeeming material for some adult magazines. Ah, okay, the articles that people say they read, yeah. Right, right. Uh, Those are usually, and people, this is not a joke, folks, those are usually great articles. (laughs) This was, you know, I was writing for Swank, and I was doing a monthly monthly story for them on something paranormal. And they were great, and having to turn out a paranormal story every month was great practice. And uh, so... I was starting to put stuff together, and then I discovered the Fortean Times, and that more or less has been my home ever since. Uh, And at some point, I decided to say, well, I really want to write a book, because you just, having a book is so much more prestigious. You're taken so much more seriously if you have a book. And the fact is that even though I was writing straight stories for adult magazines, I couldn't easily put the clippings in a... uh, in a, um, I, I couldn't approach a publisher saying, well, this was in Swank, this was in High Society, this was in Screw, and this was in Hustler. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, and it's like special thanks to, <laughs> in the end of the book, special thanks to High Society, Screw, right. and Hustler for their help in the producing exactly. of this book. Exactly. Actually, I wish I could have been in Hustler. They, they were, it was very hard to get work in them because they were, uh, they had really high standards. Uh, and they weren't interested in the paranormal. Yeah. But Again, people laugh, but when you've seen the same, the same lady, the same three pictures of the of the naked lady, and you're like, uh, you know, and you're like 15. Eventually, you read the articles, and they're really, they're really good. They're really, really good stuff. I can't. I really. I'm not even joking. I no, remember I, many times being like, "Wow, that was a really, that was a powerful, powerful piece I just read." Uh huh. Well, I think part of that is there was a certain feeling of. Look, we've we've got they're going to buy it for the naked lady, but so we just need to put in something uh to take up the spaces between the advertisements <laughs> and that gave you a lot of leeway. Yeah, yeah, and it's like they don't have to worry about advertisers like <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Look at look at okay, I the pictorial was fine as wild as it was, but the article on on UFOs or whatever, I can't <laughs> the dildo company can't abide by that. <laughs> We're a family company, damn it. Yeah, yeah. We're getting a lot of heat from the boys upstairs about that dildo ad you guys had. <laughs> but, oh, but, man. So, again, it was it was really a great way to uh, – it was a great way to get – to get in print right, and to right. get over that initial fear of I will never have anything published in a regular magazine. I, I, at one point, I was writing for Swank and Boys Life at the same time. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's not that unusual. Uh, for Boys Life, I wrote uh, one of my first paran- – well, it wasn't even a paranormal article. Again, I I only write so much on the paranormal. A lot of what I write about – is like true crimey type stuff. It's you know it's even it's not even quite that it's very very eccentric and bizarre behavior. Mm, that's a good yeah yeah. There's really no way yeah. There's no like that's not a genre. Right right right. Uh, 
so so that's why if somebody asks me what I write, I just say strange but true. Yeah. No, that fits. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've covered out quite quite a niche on on these stories because I. Actually, I, I okay. think my publisher is uh, my my publisher is actually my next book is going to be on haunting haunted houses, which sounds kind of stale. Uh, I know, but uh, this is going to be a very different take on them. And I think from his perspective, he likes the idea. This will make it much easier for him to market mm-hmm. because oh, yeah. I I'm a little difficult to market because it's not exactly paranormal. It's not exactly history, and then you know if I when a, when a, one of my books has a title like Mrs. Wakeman versus the Antichrist, there's always the danger it'll end up in the religious section. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Oh man, that's true. It's it, but you like I said, you've carved out a, a pretty cool niche here uh, of covering stories that I haven't seen done anywhere else. You know well, what that, I mean? That was always my. Um, you, you know, as, as I'm really just a fan turned writer. Mm. That's that's all. And uh, I got tired. I don't like reading the same story year after year after year. And there is an endless amount of recycling in in uh, in the in the strange and paranormal. So when I set out to write a story, I had a few standards. My standards are not wildly high, but I had a few of them. Mm. It had to be a story that I haven't read everywhere, or if it was a story that I read everywhere, I had to have a very different take on it or some really interesting new information. And if I had those things, I would go ahead and write it. Now, that that can be difficult because part of the reason why some stories haven't been written is there just isn't much available. Right, right, exactly that. They, get, they, they pop up as like maybe one newspaper article, and he, at the time, you can't really track down the people because it's like from 70 years ago or something. Well, uh, fortunately, I, I was fortunate also in that I started writing at a time when suddenly newspaper databases and um, ancestry, you know, uh, oh, genealogical yeah, yeah. material, all that stuff was suddenly available. Right, and just the internet in general, you can kind of yeah. like, because somebody else, someone else, like in. Tuscaloosa may be like, I'm trying to find out more about this Mad Hatter or Mascatoon, and it turns out I, you know, here's all my shit. Right. right. <laughs> it's like, well, whoa, what? Well, where did you get, how did you well, find this? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, there is a chapter on, uh, also, you, you know, one of the things that I have found is that writers who at least, I, I can't talk for writers in general, but writers who are interested in, in the things that we're talking about, they can be incredibly generous with material. Uh, I mean, there there is one writer named uh, Joe Derwin who who wrote a piece on he, he did a lot of research on clowns. This was before clowns became a fad. Yeah. And he uh, when he when I asked him uh, some questions because I told him I would like to write a piece about clowns sometime, he just handed me. His information. He mailed me a, a a disc that contained more information on clowns than I have ever seen anywhere, and he just gave it to me. So uh, you know, it, it's the, and I've tried to be that way with other people mm. because uh, there, you know, you do get some people who hide their information, and you know, they put it away, they they hoard it. 
Yeah, yeah. And I, again, I can kind of understand that. I, I do a little. I hoard when I'm going to write about something. When I know I'm going to write about. Right, it. right. If you have, if you come up with like a, partic- a particularly good idea, you kind of like. I of mean, course. everyone does that. Yeah, yeah. Sure, but uh, you know, he made it possible for me to write uh, what I believe is the only attempt to explain the origins of the of the clown panics of the 1980s and the possible origin of the clown panics today but again again i, I it was it was really his generosity that made it possible i had some ideas but uh he gave me the material yeah. so uh, again it's just the the writers that i have met have all been terrific uh in fact one of the people i, I when i found that when i found that linda godfrey was going to be at this co- at this conference that was one of the reasons i went because i just wanted to meet her I mean, we've known each other online for years it was great meeting her yeah she oh, was oh yeah she was, a, never she was a gem she was a gem she really is and you know it's so funny because um she writes about werewolves and dogmen, and she's a little sparrow of a woman. You know? Thank you. Yes, that's exactly that's exactly what I noticed. And not only that, that she's she's a she's just a little little lady, and she's out there. Like she was telling me this story about how um, her and her friends were out where there were some dogmen sightings. This is like in re- recent years, you know, not mm-hmm. like when they were teenagers. Um, and they were looking around at stuff. And a crab apple came up flying through the air, like, from down below, like a hill. So there's no way it would have, like, it, it shouldn't have done that. But. It was an unnatural crab apple. Exactly, yeah. And it, and it bounced along, you know, in front of them. And then she, like, showed me a video of them talking about it afterwards. And it was, like, two of her friends, and it looked like a, like a bridge club, uh-huh. you know. And it was like, <laughs> oh, my God, what are you, what are you doing out in... What are you doing out in the woods, Linda? Like, geez, you're braver. You're far braver than I am. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be venturing out into dogman country. And no. and she's out there like with her posse. And I was like, what? This is this lady's amazing. Yeah, yeah, she's well, wonderful. And you know, part of the reason why I loved her work from the very first time I, I found it. And I know this sounds a lot like a mutual admiration club, but I'm sorry, I really do admire some of these people. And. Uh, when I when I first read her book, one of the things that struck me about it was it took me back to the books that I read growing up in that it was a book about monsters I had never heard of, people that were actually looking for them, and stories that had just happened. Mm. So again, it was this was living. This wasn't fossilized like so many of the stories were. You know, she she knows these people. Right, right. And this just happened. She can take you to the place where it happened. Mm-hmm. And again, that just that even though I don't do that because I kind of lack people skills, um, I, I I admire her ability to do it, and 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 that's why I enjoy her work so much. Yeah. You sound like me. You're shy, probably. You know. It's like, I am shy, but more than that, I. I, I I have a genius for saying the wrong thing. <laughs> I mean, oh, it, no. it, it's practically a, it's practically a psychic power. I will if if I make a joke about a blue hippopotamus, there will be someone in the room whose father was killed by a blue hippopotamus, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and will and will run out of the room crying. Yeah. Again, it's I've been do it. I've always been able to do this. I I don't know where it comes from. It's like a psychic gift. You have like yeah. the worst. You have the worst X Man power. Exactly. 
<laughs> and and so of the, most of my work consists of um, documents. Mm. You know, I work from uh, historical documents, uh, things that things that sound really dull. I mean, censuses, uh, plat plat maps, and things like that. But it it brings history just to uh, it just it makes everything real. Yeah, and I love it. So you know, again. That's why I, uh, I I can't do contemporary stuff too well. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, I mean, just being able to. Yeah, you know, I was. T- I was it's kind of a. With, yeah, I guess I was, both ends are a waiting game. But in the contemporary thing, it's like you're just kind of waiting for things to unfold as it is. Well, you know, with someone like Linda, people are coming to her with stuff, mm. and she yeah. really can. She can pick and choose what she chooses to write about, but at the same time, she has to develop boundaries and learn to, you know, learn to deal with people who can be very needy, or uh, let's just say it, some of them can be mentally ill. I was just going to say she could also, yeah, she's also dealing with the possibility. Yeah, she could be dealing. I mean, there are people I know in this field who have like worked with people for years, and then it turns out they made a lot of stuff up, and it's right. like, wait a minute, <laughs> yeah. So. Oh yeah, or even if they didn't make it up, they were it was a fantasy for them. It was uh, all right. Maybe they made it up, but it's not it's not a lie or a hoax in the ordinary sense. It can be very real and important to them. But you know, you've written about it, you got your name on it, and it never happened. Right, right. And the troubling part is, not, yeah, exactly. And it's not like you're looking at an old story from someone who told the story. It's like this is from your friend Billy, right? Like who exactly. you've spent the last you know three years talking to on the phone and. Next thing you know, it's like, Billy, you mean you weren't in the Army? <laughs> yeah, you get stuff like that. You see, with me, if if something like, if a story happens like that, I look at it and I say, well, what does this story mean? You know, it, what is its historical value? What does it say about the time and the place when it happened? Hmm. Now, it's just uh, not enough time has elapsed to do that with a contemporary story. You know, I can look at it and I can say, this was a hoax, but this hoax reveals such and such about the time and place. Yeah. And it tells us about American culture in the 19th century, what was important to them, what wasn't important to them, you know, what, what fascinated them. It can be very revealing, but, it's, it, but you're, it takes time to appreciate that. And uh, I, I certainly I don't have the insight to, to do that uh, with, with something that just happened, at least – I don't. I've never tried it. So hey, maybe I'm brilliant and I don't know it. Oh, you are. I think. You oh, okay. Are. Yeah. You should have seen the things people wrote on the uh, when I announced today that you were on the show. It's like I'm already nervous about interviewing people for the first time, folks. You know, it's even having done this for years, I still like get nervous. But then I post the news that I got you on the show, and uh, it's like hell yeah, Robert Schenk, Robert Schneck is an in-depth researcher. Looking forward to hearing him in a long form. Robert's a great storyteller. Glad you're getting him on finally. So it's like, it's like <laughs> it's very nice. Yeah, yeah. So people love you, man. That's great. You know, one of again, one of the reasons that uh, going to the conference was such an interesting thing for me because it, it, writing is a it's, a it's a hermit life. Oh yeah. You know, you spend your time. I, I mean, I can I can sum up my day in a few sentences. I wake up, I answer my email, or I forget to answer my email. I then go to a diner, a restaurant, or a pizzeria. I sit there and write for four hours or three hours, depending on how before I start to get the stink eye from the manager. <laughs> yeah. And 
then I come home and I write all night. Or I try to write and I end up uh, dicking around online or... Yeah, some asshole convinces you to come on his podcast. Oh, you see, that, that, that that's a real time bandit. <laughs> um, now, you said before, you don't like stories that you've heard, uh, that you've told a million, or you heard a million times, and I, right. I, I feel like you had to have told this bye-bye story like a million times as well, and <laughs> considering the people who who have wanted you to be on the show for so long, I'm sure they've heard you elsewhere, so they, if I have you tell the story, then they're going to be like, well, then, you know, I heard him on, like, eight shows telling the story, but I'll wait all the time to have him on, and you have him tell the same story, so I don't... <laughs> And they'll say it just like that. Too. Exactly. And you wonder why this is the final season. So, uh, if you if you want to talk about the movie or that's age, what I want to ask you about, actually. Sure. So, because you seem like a real straight shooter, which I appreciate, because I try to come from that school as well. Oh, so I guess you. what was it like? Um, let's go a little bit through the process of sort of like how you ended up, how this movie ended up coming from from your story. Like how okay. you mentioned it at the end of the book and. And, and, and feel free to talk also sort of about how you feel without telling the story, <laughs> without digging too much. You know, you feel free to do a thumbnail, but you know what I'm talking about. It's like, sure, sure. Um, okay. For, about for, putting I, it out there into the world, because you, okay. you express reservations about that. But like the process yeah. and, then, and then sort of the overall impact you think it might have, you know, had. Well, uh, it started off with, uh, I'll, again, it started off with a friend, a friend who told this story every year at his pre-Halloween party. Mm-hmm. This, he would, he would, um, we, he, he, the store, the party would always end. He would ask people to tell a real-life story, something that happened to them. And then, when they were finished telling their stories, and they were usually some ghost stories or something along those lines, something that they saw when they were a kid or, um, you know, their grandmother showed up three years after she died to say hello. And then he would tell the story of the bye-bye man. And the first time I heard it, it got under my skin. It is the only story I have ever heard that got under my skin. And I have had people tell me stories about demons, ghosts, monsters, aliens. You know what it's like. You just, you just, the strangest things get poured into your ear when you do right. this sort of thing. Right, right. And... But this was the only one that actually spooked me. Just thinking about it gives me a little chill up my back. Right now, I'm not exaggerating. Right. And so I'll never forget the next morning I woke up and I was lying in bed and I was looking at that that line of light under my door, which plays a big part in the story of the Bye Bye Man, um, seeing a shadow under that that door and i remember thinking to myself i am still spooked mm. so uh i actually the first version of it appeared in one of those adult magazines i mentioned and then i wrote my first book well yeah my first book the president's vampire and i was very conflicted about whether to include the story of the bye bye man it wasn't historical it wasn't this it wasn't that but it was such a good story that I, I had to put it in. And as it turned out, of course, that was the story that everyone was fascinated by, and I understand why they were. Yeah. So uh, I, I set out to do something. I have not – I'm not really much of a good – I'm not a good planner, but this was one good plan I came up with. I said, I am going to do every – tiny little radio show I can find 
and I want to get good at doing radio shows. So by the time a Coast to Coast will have me on, I want to be good at telling this story. Nice. So, yeah. uh, so I started out, I'll never forget, the very first radio show I did uh, for, the, for the President's Vampire was a show that was run by a lady in the Midwest who claimed to be the world's leading interdimensional photographer. Oh, what an honor. Yeah. Uh, and so from there, we, I went on to do dozens and dozens of shows. This was right when podcasting had become popular. Jesus, I feel like an asshole. Why? Because this is the first time you've been on the show, dude. <laughs> oh. Oh, no. No, no, no reason to. You know, you've got to remember something, Tim. I, I go into these long periods where I, I completely withdraw, especially when I'm writing. I know that's all I'm doing. Right, right. It was, it was just hanging there in the air. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, again. Been, I was on thousands and thousands of shows. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> it's kind of like I'm pulling at my collar like, hey. No, 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 really. This, again, this was when podcasting had just started. Oh, and yeah. Really everyone, shows, yeah. Everyone with a phone was doing a podcast. And um, now I'm the only asshole on still using the actually, phone. I thought that was kind of cool that you were the only one still doing it <laughs> you, you and you and Dan Zupansky, who does true murder yeah uh th- those are two of my that that is uh, one of my favorite radio shows or podcast shows, so you know again it it's kind of neat that you're still doing it that way because you know everyone else gets caught up in the the technology of it. Yeah, to me, it's like I always say, it's like a, it's like Dylan's music, man. You just gotta listen to the words. Don't you right. know? If you hear the, it's like don't even worry about that, dude. Listen after a while, and you'll get used to it, and you'll know exactly what he's saying. Right, right. But but anyway, so I was doing all these podcasts, and I was getting better at it. I had a joke that I told at a certain one point, uh, and I I even did something that I was I'm still I think was so just so marvelously clever, where I wouldn't say the name of the character. Because of the um, because of the story, you know mm. that if you if you learn his name, he will come after you, and uh, so that went on for a while, and finally, uh, I was very surprised at this. Coast to Coast called me, so uh, I was. I don't think I have ever been as nervous as before. I did Coast to Coast. Yeah, I was. I was terrified. Uh, you could have wrung out my clothing. <laughs> really, I was. It is uh, the I big ha- time. Yeah, this was the big time. I, I, I don't know how many. They, they still had a, a millions of listeners. This was still kind of like, like the hangover from the Art Bell period. Yeah, they still do have millions of listeners. I can. T- <laughs> I can oh, okay. Tell you that for I, sure. I really don't know. I just know that it was still when it was still a phenomenon. Mm. And. So I, I did it, and I told the story, and I think I spent the next day in bed with an ice pack on my head. <laughs> and uh, the next day, I received an email from a, 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 a kind of a well-known maker of generally sleazy films, but uh, his stuff was – he was very good documentarian, strangely enough. His name was David Pryor, mm-hmm. and David Pryor – he made a movie in the back in the eighties called Killer Workout, which was about a slasher in a, a help, in a uh, an aerobic salon, things like that. <laughs> now I and, want to see that immediately. Oh yeah, David Price. He made some fun stuff. He really did. Um, but it's just it's just plain entertainment. And but uh, you know this is just kind of off subject. 
I found some documentaries he made about the Zodiac Killer that are terrific. Oh, wow, yeah. I mean, these are really good. And all he did was he got the people who were involved, the cops, the detectives, the people, you know, the victims that survived. He just sat them down in front of a white wall and let them talk. Nice, yeah. It is one of the most, they, it is one of the most fascinating documentaries I've ever seen. He has since died. Uh, David Pryor died in a car accident. But um, anyway, he contacted me, and this, this was God, 12 years ago maybe, more? I don't know. And he said he was interested in making a film out of it. And I said, yeah, sure, fine. Because I knew, I knew the odds then against the film actually being made were astronomical. And I also knew that uh, the number of properties that are bought versus the number that actually end up on the screen, um, there's, you know, it's for every 10,000 bought, one might make it. Yeah, God bless them. I, they, they, somebody auctioned the rights to one of Nick Redfern's books, and it never, I don't know, it's still floating around out there in Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, and there are some people that actually make a living selling stories to be optioned that have never been made into a movie. But anyway, so I, I put it out of my mind. My publisher at the time, Patrick Weege, he, he took care of everything, um, and I tried not to think about it anymore. Then the Slender Man came along, and I was thinking, oh my gosh, look at that. Um, it's doing what I hoped the Bye Bye Man would do. It's becoming a part of American folklore. Yeah. And so that came along, and the movie was still, you know, it was just in limbo for years and years. And then I got an email from somebody saying, you know, you're in Variety Magazine. And I said, why am I in Variety Magazine? And it said that uh, they were starting to, they had got the funding for the movie. And I said, oh, yeah, sure, fine, that's great. You know, again, there's 10 million reasons why this will fall through. And then they were casting the movie. And then they were, they were scouting locations for the movie. And then they shot it. And then I, even <laughs> then, I, I refused to believe it until it was actually released. So you weren't like, they never really brought you into the process at all? Oh, no, not at all. And that's, that was fine. I, I didn't expect them to. They, uh, you know, they bought the property. And yeah, it's just they, weird. You'd think like the director would... You think someone would be like, "Well, bring me the guy who got the who wrote the story, so we can at least get an idea of, you know, da 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 da." They never yeah, even talk to you. You'd think that, no, but they, they'll they do it the way they want to, and that that's fine. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm just it's an enlightening, it's enlightening, like. Well, uh, maybe they weird. do that. I, I, they probably do it with someone like Stephen King, but I am not Stephen King. Yeah, you know? yeah, but <laughs> I just there's a human. I don't know. They just don't have the innate human curiosity that I do. That I, you know, because I would be like. Get the guy who wrote, you know. We, yeah, you know, I know, I know what you're can, saying. Yeah. I know what you're saying. But you've got to remember, this is something that's been very difficult for me to learn, that Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff probably didn't care about horror movies. They yeah. were just, they were actors. They cared about acting. Yeah. And these, the people who write movies don't care about horror or the paranormal. They, they are interested in being entertaining. That's what fascinates them. And that's difficult for me to understand because it's such a fascinating story, but the, you know, they're looking at it as how can we get the audience excited and interested? And that's a, that's a very different... They, they have a very different starting place than people that are fascinated by the paranormal do. And it was very hard for me to 
wrap my mind around that, but I finally did. Mm. And um, did you get to go now in the, in the book now? Now you mentioned that uh, you had visions of going to the premiere. Did you get to go to the premiere? No. Oh, what? <laughs> Do you want to hear a sad story? <laughs> Oh, my God. People are tuning in. They're like, I thought I were going to hear creepy. No, I want to hear a sad story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this was the, the the weekend that it premiered. Uh, I, I was disappointed that there was no premiere. I really was. Wait, I, I now was, there wasn't. <laughs> so it was playing at the mall near my house. Yeah. And I walked to the mall in the rain to watch my movie. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> January day, and there was a layer of slush on the ground, oh. and I'm slogging through the slush to uh, to the mall to watch my movie. Oh my God! But that's, it, yeah, that's it was crazy. sad. It was sad. It's a great story, though. <laughs> no offense, no, no, no. You know, I empathize completely, but at the same time, it's like, wow, that's that's great. Yeah, yeah. Do they was, at least? All right. Do they at least say like in the credits at the beginning? Are they like based on well, a story by Robert? I, I, the credits is one thing I have absolutely no complaints about at all. First of all, I get to the theater. It is all 12-year-olds. That's fine. <laughs> they're having a good time. They're, they're rowdy. And I, I'm there with a friend, and I, I met a friend uh, at, the, at, the, at the mall, which was nice. I didn't want to have to go by myself. <laughs> and um, so we're sitting there. We watch the movie, and then the credits run – and it was directed by Pow, Stacy Title, screenplay by Pow, Jonathan Penner, based on a story by Robert Schneck. Pow! So I was third in the uh, I wow. was third in the credits, and right. I got the whole screen to myself, and I have absolutely no complaints about that whatsoever. Nice. All right. Well, it's very weird. Yeah, it's kind of like. And so, did you? I mean, to flesh a whole movie into out of a story like that is kind of. Did, what did you think about the movie itself, sort of like... Well, I had a good time. Yeah. I mean, I don't understand a lot of the choices they made. Uh, for example, there, is, there, was a mythos kind, there was a mythos that went with the Bye Bye Man. And I don't know why they made the changes they made. Because the, the story, as written, seemed very spooky and sufficient. Yeah. For um, for a, a horror movie, and, and like I said, I just they, they they changed elements, they added elements, and I just didn't understand why they made some of the changes they did, and why they were vague about things that that um, would have explained a lot of what was going on. I mean, for me, I understood what was happening, but the audience, I don't know that the audience did. I, I got the feeling a lot of it was being set up for a uh, to become a franchise. I was just going to ask you that. Is it possible? Yeah, that they. They held some details back because they're going to, uh, you know, spin it off. How did the movie do? Is it possible that that will happen? Uh, I don't, well, again, I don't understand how movies work. But right, right. The movie yeah. was the movie was a very inexpensive movie from you know Hollywood perspective. I think it was – the budget was $8 million or something. Oh, wow. And did it make yeah, a lot, was, though? Which was – yeah, you know, for a movie that's got Faye Dunaway in it, that's – that's kind of a surprise, but the movie made uh, it made back its cost plus. Uh, let's see, I I think it, it's something like twenty eight million or something. So it you know it did okay. Yeah. Uh, and again, I have uh, you know 
for a month, I, I kept going to uh, Variety to see what the box office was. That was an interesting experience, you know, to see how the how's the film doing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I honestly don't know if it's had much of an effect on book sales. I, I hope it has. I, I, you're supposed to check that online. I, I, I don't know where to look though, and I and I've never really been very good at that stuff. Yeah. But uh, I assume we sold some books, and. Uh, you know, from beginning to end, it was it was uh, an exciting experience. So, uh, you know, I'm very happy that it happened, and I don't expect that to ever happen again. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty crazy. Uh, it's a pretty. I don't know anyone. I, like I said, Nick, Nick's story has been bouncing around kind of for years out there. So it's like I can't. And I'm sure, well, you know, Travis Walton, but I can't think of too many people on who've been on the show that had their stuff turned into a movie. So it's pretty. Uh, it's pretty yeah, cool. It was it was an interesting experience. I, 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 uh, a friend of mine and I have actually the friend who's been telling the story all these years. We were thinking about maybe going back to Wisconsin and shooting a a little video on the true story and just putting it up on YouTube. Yeah. Just so you know, people can say, oh, this is you know, this is the actual place where it happened, and this is what. This is what actually happened, and you know nothing, nothing fancy. Just, uh, just maybe get some, just so people can see the real thing. Yeah, yeah. But we just haven't gotten around to it yet. Now this is like an incredibly crass question in a sense, but I apologize. But at the same time, it's also you can refute any any um, you know skeptics and, and turds out there in the audience. Did you? Get rich from this? No. Are you like super wealthy now? <laughs> like no, you, you never no, have no, to no. work another day in your life because they made <laughs> Bye Bye Man into a movie. Oh no, 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 no. That's not a crass question. I, I mean, it was. It, everyone wonders that stuff. You got to remember, it was a low budget movie. That's true. Yeah. So, um, even though it, you know, even though it got wall to wall commercials when it came out and stuff like that. The commercial budget has nothing to do with the uh, the film budget, and that's what my my payment was based on. No, really, it was not very much, and it was it was kind of trickled out over time, so I never got a lump. I see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was just it was a nice little bonus every year for a couple of years. All right, all right. Yeah, like I said, because there's always. Have you had to? I've seen some skeptical people try to like pull apart the story, but it's like it's just kind of an urban legend, folks. There's nothing really you can, you know, there's nothing you can really. <laughs> I think you'll agree, right? I mean, it's just a story you heard. It's like there's well, no, you're not like. <laughs> it's, well, there were there were things to check. For example, right. the uh, the bye bye man claimed the the story that came through the Ouija board. He claimed that uh, he grew up in a, an orphanage, in. Um, Algiers, New Orleans, things like that you could check. Right. And that was about it. But, you know, I have to say something for the skeptics, and that is that they really appreciated the fact that I checked those things. Hmm. That's good. And all the ones that wrote about me, and that includes Ben Radford and a, and a couple of other people. Mm-hmm. They all appreciated the fact that I did the research, and they gave me credit for that. So I have nothing, you know, I haven't had any bad, I haven't had any problems with any skeptics. Okay, that's good. All right. Yeah. Cause I, they, I think... prob- they, they might not agree with some of my other stories, you know, some, you know where I come yeah. from on a bunch of things, but they were, they were all, uh, they, they all 
appreciated the fact that I did look into it. Because, that's all you can ask. Yeah, I mean, that's all you can ask. It's a story from a Ouija board. What do you want? Yes, exactly, exactly. Well, that's good. Okay, because I, I think I, I try not to read those types of uh, talk about sordid publications. I, I try not to read skeptics' <laughs> blogs. They're, they're, to me, they are the ultimate sordid publication, so... Uh, well, I think I, I think I'd passed over a title, you know, mentioning your stuff, uh, the Bye Bye Man, and I was like, oh, really? This is like Neil deGrasse Tyson dissecting Planet of the Apes. Like, we know it's not. <laughs> we know it's not like. We know we know it's a story, dude. Like we don't. You know, I don't need you to break down like. <laughs> well, I think I think part of the reason why they're they're comfortable with me is I'm not running around out there saying it's real. Run. Right, exactly. Yeah. You know, uh, to me it was to me it was really interesting as an example of how folklore can be made. Oh, because yeah, for sure, yeah. It is regularly referred to now as an urban legend. It it was never an urban legend. It was an ex- it was a story that uh came out of you know, something that one neighborhood were doing. though, like one one it, Circle in the sense, I guess, and you know, it's it's a weird kind of. If it is an urban legend, it came from. We know where it, we know where it traces back to. You heard it from the guy who. You know what I mean? I know the address where it happened. You know that. Right, that's, right. That's how. Uh, that's how close we are to the possible origin of an urban legend. I, again, all I ever really wanted from the Bye Bye Men was I thought it could become. Something like the Slender Man, but, and of course it predates the Slender Man. Mm. Uh, so that that was always what I thought might happen to it. Now it's kind of uh, it, it is. I, I'm not sure what's going to happen. Of course, now you know millions of people have heard the name. They've, there have been memes about it. There have been some funny memes about it. Um, so. All these people calling it an urban legend, maybe it'll become one. I don't know. Well, have you – this is sort of an interesting question. Have you talked to the dude who originally told you the story since it became like a a part of the zeitgeist? Uh, yeah, sure. What does he, he, like, what he, does he, he think he of that, of that like development? The, uh, nothing much. He, he just didn't like the movie. The only thing he liked about it was the T-shirts that the guy playing him wore. <laughs> he wore a Sonic Youth T-shirt, and he liked that. He's real. If you say his name, or even think it, he'll come for you. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. I'm afraid of putting this into your head. Tell me. Bye bye, man. Wow. He wasn't happy or unhappy that the story he used to tell it, uh, you know, that his that his story became like a movie. No, no, no. Weird. No. He's he's a great guy. I've known him for he's he's probably one of my best friends. I've known him for years. And uh, to tell you what, how good a friend he is, when uh, the when the contract was being negotiated, he said he he didn't want any money or anything like that. That's cool. Yeah, it was very cool. Yeah. So. Um, you know, he he just signed off on it and said, "I hope you make some money out of it." Nice. Yeah, I got great friends. Yeah, and, you sure do. Yeah, I do. And the uh, the he just I think it was just one more little incident in his life. I mean, if if there had been a movie where someone was playing me, 
I would never stop talking about it. Yeah, he's that's what other, I mean. I'm like, he's got I'm, other I'm things like, to do. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess if your life, yeah, I guess if the bye bye man thing came out of your life, then it's probably like, I could see how you'd be like, eh, you know. I lived it, man. I don't need to, <laughs> I don't right. need to see the movie. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, it's funny the uh, the girl who is played by that. A beautiful blonde woman in the in the in the film. I don't remember her name, but uh, oh, something bones or uh, well, I, I don't remember her name. Yeah. But I of course I contacted the real woman because I needed to get her to uh, sign off on it, and she was per- again she was perfectly happy. Didn't want any money or anything like that. All she said was she didn't want to hear about it or be bothered about it again. It had, it was an unpleasant experience for wow. her, and she just didn't want anything to do with it again. Wow! And that was it. Jesus, you know, all, yeah, it, yeah. Interesting. It was it was it was interesting. Um, it was the only time I've ever spoken to her, and she was certainly nice enough about it, but uh, she wanted absolutely nothing to do with it. How much time had passed, like between when the thing happened and how old she was? Oh gosh, I don't Roughly. even. Me, I don't. Uh, it happened in the early 1990s. Okay, so about 20, 30? No, no, nothing 20. like that. No, no, no. Early 90s, though. She, yeah, she, it would have been. Uh, well, I wrote the book. Uh, the book came out in 2005, and I wrote it uh, during the previous two years. So maybe 10 years. Oh, because he had to talk to her before he wrote the actual story. No, no, I had to. Uh, no, no, I could write the story without talking to her, but uh, the. Film people contacted me right after the book came oh, out. Oh, okay. Maybe okay, you know, okay. maybe six months later. Okay, okay, I see, I see, I see. Yeah, so so say about ten years since she had the experiences. Yeah, she uh, she had a number of strange experiences, and uh, she you know she liked the paranormal, but only the nice paranormal. Yeah. She liked uh, angels. She, she liked angels, and she liked she liked getting uh, positive messages from spirits. You know, everything is love, all is one, blah 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 blah. Oh God! Um, well, she likes that, uh, and it takes she didn't like yeah. she didn't like being scared by it. And when it did scare her, it really scared her. So she uh, she simply signed off on it, and she was good about it. You know, every everyone was really good about it. I I uh, I have no complaints, except that I I would have rather not. No, I would rather not walk to the mall in the snow. Yeah, yeah. They could have also, like, <laughs> I was just thinking they could have done, like, the story, like, they could have opened and closed the movie, like, done one of those movie in the movies where they have you, where they have a character playing you writing it, and then you've been like, what the hell, dude? <laughs> Gilbert Gottfried, really? Gilbert Gottfried? Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would have been great. I would have liked that even more. Anyway. <laughs> no, that would, yeah, I'd hang my hat on that for the rest of my yeah. life. I'd be like, yeah, I was played in a movie by Gilbert Gottfried, okay? That's right. <laughs> What have you done lately, <laughs> bro? <laughs> On Thanksgiving, yeah. Let's watch that movie where Gilbert Godfrey plays me. Right. <laughs> Everyone's like, we've seen it six times, dude. That was and that was today. Yeah. The uh, the only thing is that if it does end up as a franchise and they, you know, it it, it goes into a two or a three. All I want is is if there are if there's a restaurant scene or something. Oh, a cameo, I want them, yeah. I want them to fly me out there, and I want to be sitting in the background with my computer writing. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. That was part of the thing where it's like if you 
if they had just talked to you, they, <laughs> they would, you know, they would have put you probably in a scene. It's very annoying. I find that very like on on disenchanting. It's well, like, yeah, you know, they get, again, you know, it's like that. again, Tim, they have a they have a different set of priorities. Yeah, yeah. And and you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. Again, here, you know, here is a group of people. They come together to do a project. They fly apart again. Oh they yeah, might yeah. Never I, see I was, each other again. Yeah, yeah. These are not people who are. These are not people who are interested in the paranormal. These are people who are interested in making movies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I actually, ironically, yeah, I filmed a cameo for a movie this summer uh, that Adam oh. Go Rightly has a starring role in, um, called The Hill and the Hole, that'll be out next year. <laughs> Which yeah, one are for you? I, I am a. I'm in. Uh, I'm a short order cook, I guess you would call it. I don't know. I'm a worker at a at a uh-huh. fried a fried dough truck. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I have one line, but uh, yeah, I have a cat. My character's name is Tiny, and uh, <laughs> for real, yeah. And the movie, and Adam Go Rightly plays like a uh, a Freemason who's involved in all kinds of uh, Freemasonic rituals and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and it's coming out next year. <laughs> for real, this is really. And I I was like. Okay, I mean, I was I went to film school, so I kind of have been in my share of like student type movies and stuff. And it was, uh, you know, st- doing the whole thing was exhausting because there's a lot of work involved, and it, it's a combination of like standing around and having to do the same thing over and over again, and um, trying to, for me at least, trying to do something different every time. Right. And then I saw the movie, uh, the clip of a movie. They sent me some like, you know, I don't know what you'd call them, dailies or whatever. You know, they edited together the like rushes. Uh, actually, they edited together a Sizzler reel that they shared just for people who've seen who were in the movie, mm-hmm. and the the quality is amazing. It really it really is, it's outstanding. Like I saw, I was watching it. I'm like, oh my god, I was in a real movie. <laughs> like I thought, I thought this was, I thought this was just some lark thing that that some guys were making, but no, this is a real movie. This is like really well done and incredibly like you know, it was like the kind of thing I could never do. Lighting and the camera work. It was like these are these are really highly skilled professionals. What oh yeah, what have I got myself into? Yeah, you see, and and again, that was one of the things that I I just was very difficult for me to understand, and that was really just like how can you not be as fascinated by the story of the Bye Bye Man as I am? Mm. Oh well, you were fa- oh, fascinated so. by again, you were fascinated by entertaining the audience, mm. and I, I just I just don't get it. Well, he, it, what got me off on that tangent was um, that it, it, I noticed just from my brief time with the with the folks making the movie that it was like it was like a little like a little underground sort of like world that I was just getting a glimpse of. It was a subculture. Yes, yes, and uh, and you know, like I think like one of the directors and one of the stars of the movie had just driven like for two days straight across country to get there to film the next part of the movie, and they had just rolled into town that day, and it was like other people had flown in from <laughs> New Mexico, but it was a small group of like 12 or so people. And it was like, this is an, an odd, you know, and it was like, so where are you going after, you know, you going to the thing? And it was just very like, a very odd, uh, like a little family, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was like, I was the interloper of this little family. Yeah. yeah and that, it was that, like, wow, I this noticed, is cool. I noticed that too. I noticed that too. In fact... I became Facebook friends with with some of the people. I, this is so sad. I actually, 
I became Facebook friends with some of the people who were involved in the movie just so I could find out what was happening because no one would <laughs> tell me anything. So I would I would go to the uh, – you know, they would, they would print things like, oh, we – you know, here, here's the cast party, here's the filming. And so I, I knew what was going on. And um, at one point, one of them ran a picture from Thanksgiving – well, it turns out he's related to a well-known TV star, and I think there was like a director and a producer there. They were all related. Huh. And so, you know, it is a small world that you're either in or you're out. But, of course, you know, we have the exact same thing. Uh, if we had dropped one of those people into the, uh, the cryptozoology convention. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, them, they, for them it would have been, wow, I could make a movie about this. No, no, don't you see? These things should be living out in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, we have our own little little world of folks. Uh, oh, yeah, we do. And, you know, we, we, we all know each other, and we all flew in from here or there. Yeah, and then we all, yeah, we all break up at the end. Yeah, that is, that is exactly what it's like, yeah. So, you know, again, it's, uh, it's not that much different. And then you get someone like Seth Breedlove, who is right in the middle. He's actually making movies, and he's fascinated enough by cryptozoology to make a series of movies about small-town monsters. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Well, it's actually, ironically enough, the folks who, make, who made Hill, The Hill in the Hole um, actually filmed the, the little video at Lawrence Museum. They're from New England, and they oh, filmed the right? video. Uh, oh, that's great. I think their Mandate 33 is their film company, or at least that was mm-hmm. what their, their sort of paranormal wing is and uh yeah they did the the little video there because i was watching at the end it was like thanks to mandate 33 and i was like oh that's the guys from uh the home hole so it all comes full circle yes it does well uh here's another thing i wanted to ask you about and that is it's funny in a way because i mean correct me if i'm wrong i'm pretty sure i'm right but you wrote about you had a chapter in one of your books about the clown Let's just say the, the the clown craze, the clown phenomenon, the clown clowns. Uh, right. <laughs> God bless. Well, I, I was before I was, before the before the 2016 clown frenzy. Right. Yeah. I, I actually started out with something very specific in mind, and that was I wanted to understand what caused the clown panic in the 1980s, the right, early right. 1980s. And, uh, you know, at the time, that was the big clown panic. That was it. Yeah. And I never expected it to start again. The, it's um, crazy. That's the, the – Oh, yeah. It's been going on now for over a year. It's one of my favorite things to <laughs> – I don't know if I'm a bad person, folks, but this is one of my favorite <laughs> things to have happened, like, in the last – like two or three years. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been a terrible, it's been a terrible no, no, stretch no. of time I, for I the human great. race. But, but clowns, killer clowns, creepy clowns are apparently a problem we face here and, <laughs> right. in this and modern course, age. And of, and of course, we just had the remake of it too. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, it really interested me for a couple of reasons. First of all, the the pat explanations for it, which was that it was caused by the movie It or the um, or the book It, and or that it was caused by John Wayne Gacy, the uh, Chicago serial killer who dressed up as a clown to do charity work. Those those were the two basic explanations, and of course neither of them were were really quite true. The the uh, book came out I think after the. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm going to have trouble talking too, too precisely about this because I wrote the book a few years ago. Right, and right, right. I just don't have everything at, at well, my I fingertips. Mean, I'll just say this, and, and maybe we can pivot from there. Is the I actually, God rest his soul, I knew a guy who saw one of these phantom clowns when he, when he was a kid in the 80s. And a, he, I mean, sure, he may have been making the story up, folks. I don't know. We were just buddies. And and friends, and we grew up, and we I know I knew him for a very long time. But the whatever he claims happened to him was so profound that he got a tattoo of a clown with like a creepy cigar, you know, like a creepy clown with a cigar. He was like, that's what the guy looked like. And to me, that was like that's you know. So I knew somebody that apparently claims he encountered a clown to the point that he was willing to get a tattoo over it. So apparently, where? Where? I think on his arm. I'll have to ask his friend. No, no, not, not where to get the tattoo. <laughs> where do you see the clown? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I think at like a local, uh, yeah, a local reservoir that was like behind his house. Really? Yeah. And, and, and where where was it? What state? Massachusetts. Oh, and okay. And they used to go. It was where, like a short the, walk. Uh, you know, they uh-huh. would go across the street through their, back, their neighbor's backyard. And they'd get, you know, walk through some woods, very stand-by-me-like, you know, right. and get to the reservoir, which is a huge, uh, essentially a man-made lake, obviously. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and at, as they were walking around, and they, they saw a creepy clown come down from a hill wearing, uh, you know, in a clown outfit with a cigar. Huh. Yeah, isn't that? And he said it was so, like, it, it, was, it freaked him out so much that, like, uh, you know, Later, well, later in life, a decade or whatever, you know, when he was in college or whatever, he got the, the clown tattoo. That that is interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, when the um, when the first clown flap occurred in the 1980s, when the first national clown flap occurred in the 1980s, it was um, it was only children that saw the clown. No, not one adult saw a clown, and they did see the van. One one adult did see a van that the clown was supposedly driving, and her two daughters saw the clown that was driving it. But not not one adult saw them. It's interesting that somebody who saw it as a child has since you know grew up since then and still remembers it. And obviously, it had a, uh, a, a it was very meaningful experience for him. Again, he engraved it into his flesh. Yeah, that's that's how meaningful it was to him. So um, I. I I, it really did fascinate me. I guess clowns have become something of a cliche now that they're uh, they're on television, they're in the movies. They're um, the, there was one year, I, I think it was a year or two ago, when I watched a YouTube video on a Halloween exposition, and it could have been almost a creepy circus. It was right. All clowns. So you know, I, I suppose it will pass soon, but. The fact that it's still going on is is astonishing to me, and you know, again, anyone who's read uh, Mrs. Wakeman the 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 the, uh, the story that I did on clowns knows that I think it really comes out of um, I think it comes out of American black culture, mm. and I think it comes out of experiences that began with slavery, all the way back with slavery, and into the uh, into the period right before the outbreak of the clowns w- w- uh, during the Atlanta child killings. 
and I, I think they were really the impetus for uh, for the clown panic, and that the uh, the shape of the clowns comes out of again black folklore about the Ku Klux Klan right. and the uh, belief in things called night doctors which were medical students that were supposed to abduct black people for use in experiments and making medicine and things like that, all of which actually goes back to some African folklore that still exists where uh, the belief that white people need the blood of black people to survive in Africa. There's some, this is, oh, God. Uh, yeah, I will admit that just describing it in the, that way it sounds really far-fetched, but if you read the case I make for it in the book, mm. it does make a kind of a sense that it does come out of black folklore. Uh, so, again, if, if somebody is interested in, in uh, clowns, I, I would recommend reading that, that chapter of the book, which is called, uh, the name of the chapter is Ku Klux Clowns. Yes, exactly. Well, so, uh, again, it's... Uh, and I'm thinking about making it into uh, into a PowerPoint presentation because I, I really do think there's some validity to the argument. I was just gonna, I was just gonna cut you off and say another movie, no. another movie, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it wouldn't really be much of a movie. It might make a good documentary. Yeah. But uh, I, I'm I'm supposed to be going to a. Um, um, Another now that I now that I've attended a convention, people are asking me to attend more of them, and I'm. That's thinking, how it works, yeah. Oh yeah, I'm thinking. Uh, so I've been invited to this big, big haunting convention in Alton, Illinois, this coming summer, and uh, I think I might put together the clown, the presentation to to give there because. Um, you know, I, I really do, like I said. I think it's an interesting explanation for where they came from, and I'm having a hard time getting it out there. Yeah, but I mean, do you think it, the, the modern clown, the thing that happened after you wrote the thing, mm-hmm. which is interesting in a sense, like I said, because you wrote about it, and it hadn't really been a thing for thirty years, right, or so, and then it was, then all of a sudden, the clown thing exploded, like a new generation of clowns <laughs> emerged. Yeah. And the weird part, though, is you know we talked earlier about urban legends and that kind of thing. This is like. This is like T-bowing. This is like planking. This is like a, like, like, it's turned, it's not necessarily like some mysterious thing. It's just some goofy uh, kids with nothing better to do jumping on sort of that that meme. And and now it's sort of like melding into unstable individuals in a sense where a lot of them are carrying weapons. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, it is evolving, so, but at the so same time, the, the it's like... clowns in the 80s were supposed to carry weapons, too. Right, right. I guess the point I'm trying to make is, like, that uh, there's a certain, like, um, it, there's a certain, like, it's in the zeitgeist, in a sense. Like, it's, it, we know for a fact that people are are picking up on this and, and doing it and stuff. As opposed to before, where it was like, where's this coming from? You know what I mean? It's like, we know where this... We know where this barn thing is coming from, in a sense, because people are hearing these stories, and then they get it in their crazy minds to be like, I'm going to do that, too. Well, there's actually a word for it in folklore. Uh, folklorists call that ostention. Ah. Where, where, um, I was searching uh, for a word to sort of... Yeah, it's, it's an odd word, but that, that's the word they use to describe when something exists in folklore and people make it real. Huh. Oh, almost like a... Um like a tulpa. We've talked about that on the show before, where it's like, I think that that people that can conjure sort of like, yeah, 
can conjure uh, something. They can manifest it from just the thought of it being. Well, this this isn't paranormal. This is people actually doing it. Mm. I mean, this is uh, where they take they take an idea. Uh, again, in this case, the urban legend of uh, killer clowns, phantom clowns, and they dress up like it. They make it real, so that they end up being photographed and videoed and. Mm. Uh, again, this is something that people do. Why they do it, I don't really know. I don't understand. I don't quite understand the satisfaction of it beyond you know just it's fun to scare people. But obviously, this has some meaning for them. And, ah, they want to be a uh, part of something, I guess. It's it 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 does carry some. Me- it, it is meaningful to them, and it's obviously meaningful to the culture. What that what that meaning is, though, that's something else. Yeah. It's yeah, it's interesting. It'll be it'll be interesting to see how it develops from here because it's mm-hmm. been I've well, been enjoying watching it. Like I said, I really lo- I do I do love the clown the, the the reemergence of the clown phenomenon. It's been awesome. Well, even back in the eighties, was already starting to mutate. Mm. Uh, there were reports. I think it was from Australia of this man who was going around with a van full of giant stuffed animals. It was a very creepy story. Jesus. And then there was a story from England about these men that were going around in a van, and they would grab children, ask them if they liked a certain soccer team, and if they gave the wrong answer or the right answer, they would slit their mouths uh, up to the ear to give them like a clown-like grin. Oh, my God. Well, this is just urban legend. Right, right. But again, these were... These were um, these were mutations. I think I think these were mutated versions of the clown story. Mm. That, that that its return to the clown, I, I I can't explain. I don't know why it's happened. Uh, some people actually looking at my work think that um, the. Uh, sudden attention that was being given to racism and you know the use of racism in politics or the accusations of racism in politics yeah. had just had become such a big thing that maybe that racial element in the clown story had reemerged uh, again I uh, I think we're too close to it to tell right exactly yeah for sure but that is possible because it was it came during a very tense time in the country's Situation, you know, right. very, uh, you know, in history. Right before the election, it was like it was people. And it was it was a it was a long election. Yes, yeah, exactly. People will long connect the two elements, and I think there is a connection, but we don't. It's going to be a long time before we know <laughs> right what, what those were. And uh, again, this is I I don't want anyone to think I'm getting political with this. This, no, is, no, just, no, no. this is just something, uh, this is just an observation. I mean, when you take a look at some of the things that were happening in politics, Donald Trump's hair, as ridiculous as this might sound, there is almost a clown-like quality to him, to his appearance. Well, he, he, had, looks, been drawn as, he had been drawn as a clown. Try saying that uh, five times fast. He had been drawn uh-huh. as a clown uh, many times before he was elected, before he even ran for president. So it's like, True. there's a very... The connection was already there. 
So it's exactly. like, what what does this mean? Yeah, exactly. It's very... And like all urban legends, it's probably very ambivalent. On one hand, uh, there, it's an expression of hatred. On the other hand, it's an expression of love. It's very... That stuff happens in urban legends. They are very rarely neat. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that might have had something to do with this, too. Um Again, I, I don't want anyone listening to this to draw some conclusion about my politics or anything like that. This is something other people uh, looking at my work, this was a decision they made, and, or this was uh, an idea they had, and I think there's some validity to it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we'll just see how it plays out, folks. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're already warning about more clowns because of the movie coming out this week. Yeah, I often wonder, though, if that really has an effect Especially, especially nowadays, though, when uh, you've got these people who are working for the film company and are trying to make things happen, like these balloons that are showing up on sewer gratings. Yeah, I saw that this week. I mean, yeah. that sounds like a marketing campaign to me. Yeah, yeah, because the police were like, the police posted it on their Facebook page, and they were like, to the people who are doing this, we're scared, so right. stop doing it. It was like kind of, it was a weird thing where it was like. Oh, I bet the movie company worked with like the Philadelphia police to like put the put the balloons in. You know what yes, I mean? Yes, everyone everyone got free tickets or something. Yeah. But you know, come on, it's a balloon tied to a sewer grating. Are the police really scared? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And the Philadelphia police. Yeah. Yeah. Those clowns, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. <laughs> I keep waiting for something else to like over, you know, take over the the, the spot of the of the clowns, but it's uh. I, in a sense, I think they've displaced. <laughs> they're kind of the stand-in for the, your, your usual paranormal topics because people are less interested in those nowadays as the world gets stranger. So, well, uh, you know, keep in mind they are they also grew out of the um, satanic ritual abuse panic, and they grew out of the pedophilia panic. Mm. So, you know, exactly, those are also, yeah, those are also elements of it, and one of the reasons why. Uh, it resonated so so much with so many people. So uh, you know, again, this is it's, it's all part of it, and this is a very weird part of our culture. It's almost like this is what our culture is dreaming about. You know, not not to get too um, not to get too metaphorical about it, but we we have weird dreams as a culture, and this is our dream. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think for sure. Absolutely. Now I have a request in a sense from uh, sure. one of our listeners because he he was kept mentioning the Phantom Raiders, which is like oh, a sure, Massachusetts yeah. story, and I'm from mm-hmm. Mass, so uh, I've only heard I, I I I have the books and I looked at the story, but I figured I would have you uh, you know because uh, I know you don't like to do rerun stories or, or oh no no, no, no. <laughs> I, I haven't no. I haven't spoken about this story for years good, good. I, I just like like I said if it's I just too don't... deep in the if it's too deep in the ether just let me know and we can no 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 this is just I I haven't again I don't have the uh, I don't have the facts at my fingertips because I wrote that so many years ago but... right right feel free but, you know yeah if you can't remember. Some widower, some widower's basic. name, just be like a widower. No, <laughs> no one's gonna, no one's gonna complain. I, I do remember the basics though, and the, what, what attracted me to the story was that uh, it happened in 1692 in New England, when everyone else was worried about witches in Salem and Danvers, mm. and what happened was out on Gloucester, I think in Gloucester Bay, uh, by you know the land by Gloucester Bay. The uh, some of the outlying farms were 
being attacked by phantoms, phantom raiders. They would show up, and they seemed to be a mixture of Frenchmen and Indians. At least that's what the uh, that's what the what the locals called them. They said that's what they looked like. And they would shoot at them, and the locals would run off to the blockhouse to take to take refuge, and they would arm themselves when they went out to uh, to do farming. And they would shoot at the raiders, and the raiders supposedly would get knocked down by the bullet and then jump up again and run away. And when the raiders ran over muddy spots, they didn't leave footprints. And the... The um, the incident got so much attention that they actually sent in a militia from nearby, and the militia chased them through the woods, and the militia saw them too. But they never actually hurt anyone. They never caused any damage. They never uh, really they, – they were – a weird combination of real and unreal, like so many paranormal things. And eventually the group just decided that they were phantoms and they weren't going to worry about it anymore. And, uh, you know, these were not real raiders. Because it was one of those times when the uh, when the colony was in a real uproar. I mean, there was the uh, witchcraft going on. There, was, there were panics uh, going on with that. Yeah. And there was a fear that they were going to lose their charter there was a definite there was a very real possibility of another war with France and also a war with the Indians and what a lot of people don't know about those early wars between the Indians and the settlers were they were vicious vicious wars oh yeah oh yeah absolutely i mean torture was common uh, there, there was King Philip's War and a bunch of those those early American wars, and the people that had been through them were it left a mark. I mean, they were traumatized by it, and so you put all those elements together, and suddenly having a phantom panic in Gloucester makes some sense. It was again, it was complete. It was totally overshadowed by uh, what was happening in Salem. And, uh, you know, Cotton Mather played a little bit of a part. He's the one who told the story. And um, one of the, the the main person, Ebony, what was his name? Oh, gosh, it just it went right out of my head. Uh, the, the main person who was involved in the story, his mother believed she had been bewitched and he might have brought down the girls from Salem to see if they could see anyone bewitching his mother. Oh, God. And they did, but it doesn't seem to have turned into a trial uh, so it was again. It was a, it was actually a very interesting story, and one of those things that deserves more attention than it gets. Now, what is the story of the bullet? Part? Oh, okay, yeah. Um, the the main man again. I can't believe I forgot his name. That's just killing me. Um, <coughs> excuse me. No worries. He he was leaving the um, he was either leaving his house or he was leaving the bunkhouse. I think, which. Uh, not the the bunkhouse no the blockhouse i'm sorry the blockhouse was a fortified wooden cabin that the people in the neighborhood would run to in case they were attacked and it was made out of extra thick wood and they could defend themselves there and they were hiding there in in the in the blockhouse and he had to go out for some reason i think to get help maybe and these phantom raiders showed up and they shot at him and the the bullet went into 
I think it was a hemlock tree, and the hemlock and this piece of wood, this branch with the bullet, was apparently saved for years and years, and it was the only physical evidence that these raiders had ever existed. It has since uh, it, it has since vanished, although it could still someone might still have it in their in their attic somewhere. Yeah, yeah. My friend Steve Ray was saying that uh, he wanted to go find it when he came here to. Oh visit yeah, me. it would it would be great to know if it still exists. We're <laughs> gonna uh, go knocking on doors in Gloucester, though. Well, it's possible. In fact, a knife that was used by this man. Uh, it still exists. It's in the local historical society. Supposedly, he killed a bear with it. Ah. Yeah, so this this knife still exists. But as far as I know, the bullet, no one knows where the bullet is, but it would not surprise me if it's if it still exists somewhere. Yeah, yeah. If anything, it's like dislodged from the wood and sitting in like a little basket. You know what I mean? Exactly. Nobody, it's, nobody it's, even knows. It's sitting in someone's attic somewhere. Um, with, with any luck, it's wrapped in a piece of paper explaining why it was saved. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. We hope. Yeah, we hope. Now, at the conference in uh, in Portland, you talked about the Ape Canyon incident. So right. uh, I'm sure Lauren won't mind because we've uh, already gone past, you know, the conference has come and gone. Tell us a little bit about, and you wrote about it, obviously, in one of your books. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, and we've never covered it on the show. So talk about this this incident and what you uncovered from it. Because I, well, I was blown away, and I'm sure you had to be even more blown away, I guess, uh, that Lauren has like a piece of, of of the canyon or the fence or a part of the of the site of the incident at the museum, which is oh, really what? amazing. Did you see uh, that? Well, that uh, to be honest, what was that? He has like a piece of wood from the from the cabin. Oh, he does. Yeah, you didn't see that? No, I didn't. Oh, yeah, he has it at the museum. Oh, I didn't see. Well, now I've got an, I've got an excuse to go back. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the Excuse me. Uh, the the story is The story uh, the story actually grew out of two different stories that appear in The President's Vampire or The Bye-bye Man, depending on which title you use. Mm-hmm. Um one of them was called Bribing the Dead and the other was the story we just spoke about, the Phantom Militia, because in the Phantom Militia, I go into other stories of people who claim to be under siege by paranormal entities, if you like. Yeah. So I spoke. I talked about the goblins that attacked the house in Kelly, mm-hmm. the Hopkinsville, Kentucky case, and I also spoke about Ape Canyon, and so. That was the first time I ever wrote about Ape Canyon, and I, I I just gave the standard version and moved on to you know like so here are some other here are some other examples, uh, and in that book I also wrote a story called Bribing the Dead, and Bribing the Dead was about a big hoax that took place in New Jersey in the 18th century, where this man who claimed to be a sorcerer got all of these people to contribute money so that he could use his magical powers to pay to bribe these ghosts that were guarding a buried treasure to let them have it. Oh my god. What do what do ghosts want with money? I don't know. Yeah. But this is the way they thought. So I I did a lot of research on on uh magical treasure hunting which I knew nothing about. Mm. I never even knew it existed. I, you know, I I knew about it from little things in pirate stories and uh, and from Edgar Allan Poe's story, The Gold Bug. That was it. 
That was all I knew. But it turned out this was a, something that a lot of people did uh, for at least 60 years. And there were, I think there were about three big waves of treasure hunting when it became popular throughout the United States. So uh, this was one of them. It, it came after the revolution. It went on for about 60 years. So this was not a minor thing. So while I was doing the research, I had read... Fred Beck's story, the, the book that he wrote. And Fred Beck was one of the miners at Ape Canyon. And in 1967, he and his son Ronald put out a book called I Fought the Eight Men of Mount St. Helens. And the story begins with the story that everyone knows. And the story we just told, which was that a group of five miners were working their claim in Ape Canyon, which is very close to Mount St. Helens. They began to... They found weird giant footprints. Uh, then they began to hear whistling, and they heard what sounded like someone pounding on their chest, and it was getting them nervous. And finally, one evening, they went out to draw water, and this ape creature, this ape man, this giant ape man, stuck its head out from behind a tree. They shot at it. It ran off in one direction. They ran off in the other direction. They returned to the cabin, and that night they were attacked by these ape creatures. Mm. They threw stones on the roof. They tried to knock the door down. Uh, the men inside were terrified, and they, they would shoot at them when they were attacking and try to drive them off. Anyway, they uh, the attack subsided in the near morning, and on their way out, they saw one of the eight men standing not too far away, and they shot him, and his body fell off a cliff. <laughs> and so it was, un, you know, they could never get it. The one guy and, who hung around too long. Yeah, I, I, they don't know what he was doing there. I suggested <laughs> in the book he might have just been walking by and didn't have anything to do with it. Yeah, yeah, he was, he's like, oh, that's where they all went last night. Right. <laughs> He was just an innocent giant bystander. Yeah. But anyway, he ended up dead, and and all the men ran to the car, and they they drove off, and the story got out, and it became part of the local folklore of of uh, it, the the area became known as Ape Canyon. It had probably been known as Long Canyon before that, but I haven't been able to prove that. Uh, and it became a part of local folklore. Well, then the 1950s came along, and cryptozoology came along. And stories like this were studied for possible, you know, for evidence of maybe this could tell us something about Bigfoot. Keep in mind, this had never been, uh, it, it had never been scientific, that had never been an aspect of it. It was a folktale. Right, right. That these men said had happened to them, and it became part of folklore. But now it became part of cryptozoology, and it was being examined for. Um, evidence of how cre these creatures might act and all that was not, really not the most appropriate use of the story. So 1967 comes along and the uh, Patterson-Gimlin film had been shot and so everyone was paying a lot of attention to uh, Bigfoot and Fred Beck decided that he would write a ver that he would write his own version of what happened in 1924 which is when all this happened and he would give his explanations for everything. He would give his version of it. Well, he published it, and it was a, it's a strange little book. It's, it's only 22 pages long. And in it, he describes how they used, they were spir the men were all spiritualists, and they had used spiritualism to contact spirits that led them to the gold mine that they, uh, that they finally did excavate, Although they had done something to offend the spirit, so the gold, the gold, 
he told them that they would never have the gold, but they decided to dig anyway because they'd been looking for years. And when they finally were about to, just on the verge of reaching the gold, the uh, the Bigfoot monsters attacked them. The ape men attacked them and drove them from their mine. Wow. Now, my point in telling this story was that what they told was essentially an updated version of a traditional ghost hunting story because in traditional ghost hunting stories what a person would do is they would hire a seer or sorcerer of some kind to summon a spirit of the dead the spirit of the dead would tell them where treasure could be found they would then go to the spot with the seer or the sorcerer the sorcerer would dig this would dig a would uh, rather he would draw a magic circle that would provide protection for them and the spirit and it would it would protect them from the guardians of the treasure and one of the things you had to do was keep silent or it would break the spell hmm. and someone invariably spoke the, usually just as they were on the verge of finding the treasure, <laughs> and all of these phantoms and these monsters would appear and drive them off. There were a number of parallels between Fred Beck's description of what happened at Ape Canyon and this traditional ghost hunting story. Hmm. Again, it's not 100%, but there are enough parallels to make you think that part of the reason this never quite fit into cryptozoology is that it is re it really belongs to the folklore of magical treasure hunting. Huh. And that was really what I was trying to uh, that was my only real point what I was trying to get to. Uh, you know, and explain that if this story doesn't quite fit, there's a reason for it. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I, I think the story. Uh, look, you know, time has time has come and gone. Fred Beck published that pamphlet 50 years ago. Oh wow! I mean, so, you know, if and and his explanation for Bigfoot as a spiritual being that uh, takes on a, a temporary physical body, that's since become fairly popular. Right. And, uh, you know, I think the fact that, big, that, that no one has managed to find Bigfoot in all that time has contributed to the popularity of Bigfoot as a paranormal phenomenon. Oh, of course, yeah. You know, the, it's just because the thing's so elusive if it, if it actually exists. And... Yeah, that's yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why you have all these far out theories about UFOs now, because it's like, oh yeah, because <laughs> the aliens don't give a, give a crap about us. Well, the um, I I I think my 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 take on on uh, Ape Canyon is kind of an inside baseball thing for cryptozoology. You know, this is something that cryptozoologists would know about. Although I was surprised when I asked how many people in that room of 130 people had read. I fought the eight men of Mount St. Helens, the book written by Fred Beck. Lauren put his hand up. Oh, and I knew Lauren of, would. Come on. One, other, one other guy. Oh, wow, And that yeah. was it. <laughs> so, you know, again, this is not a well-known story. Uh, but people did seem interested in it. And, uh, you know, it was – and I was glad of that because I get excited when I tell these stories. And, you know, I hope that that, they, that communicated to the audience. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh I only saw parts of it, but my buddy who saw the whole thing was raving about it. Uh, oh, that's good. That's all weekend, good. so. So, uh, you know, I'm hoping to tell that uh, somewhere else. I don't quite know where yet. Um, and and again, I'm thinking about making the uh, to doing something with the clown story, just because that is something that so many people are aware of right now. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you said you have a new book coming out on haunted houses. Can no, you... no, 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 not coming out. I haven't started it yet. Oh, you haven't started it yet. No, no, I'm just writing the uh, I'm just writing the proposal right now. In fact, I Oh, I today. thought you said that was like – so it is your next book, but it's going to be – it's, it's like it's like Game of Thrones, the next season kind of thing. Yeah, I, <laughs> I I I actually I think of that guy. I don't quite know why he rushes into publication the way he does. Yeah, I I, I take my time with this stuff. Yeah, but this book I think will be a little quicker because um, it's all on one subject. Yeah. Uh, all my other my, all my other books have been collections where I where I try to examine something in depth. Uh, in one chapter and then move on to something else. Mm-hmm. Again, it comes out of that a stranger than science approach to things where it's a you know you you just you write about things that interest you they aren't necessarily connected to each other. Yeah, yeah. And uh but this book will probably move along a little quicker because with when you write those sorts of books, when you finish a chapter you're back to square one. With uh, with the next chapter, right? Exactly. I was thinking of that. Yeah. Yeah, and it it can be uh, it can be a little discouraging when you're when you're doing the writing itself because uh, you know, oh my gosh, I'm finished. Oh my gosh, I have to start again. Right, right, you know? right, right, right. But at the same time, you don't have to, like string. It's, it seems more manageable in small bites like that. That's exactly it. It, it actually is. Um, Especially the way I write, because I will, I actually divide the story up into even smaller pieces, and you know, it's it's that idea you can eat an elephant one bite at a time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So, have you? How much work have you done on this? I'm trying to get like some. I'm trying to pull some some nuggets here, some some uh, you know, some teasers uh, uh, well, out of you. Have you done actually? Um, I'm interested in a sense because uh, I have an affinity for it because I've been there a few times. Have you looked at the Whaley House? Is that going to be part of the book or no? Uh, I'm or not is that sure too yet. mainstream? The, well, no, no, it's not that it's too mainstream. It's This book is going to be taking a, a very different approach to haunted houses. Yeah. The, uh, it is not going to be a collection of weird stories with histories uh, explaining why this might be, and then having a psychic come in and, you know, do her bit. Good, good. I'm actually, yeah, yeah I'm already enthused. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I should have known that just from talking to you tonight, where it's like the book is going to be, I hope, like a reinvention of haunted house stories in a sense. Exactly. Cause every story, every every haunted house story you hear nowadays is the same story. Yeah, the, I'll, you know, frankly, it is kind of a tired genre. And there are I, I I can't even imagine how many haunted house titles there are out there. So I, I actually, so I really do think this is going to be a contribution that's going to take it in a, a different direction and an exciting direction. And I know my, my I know my publisher is happy because this is so much easier to market. Yeah, that's what you were saying earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I, I have a feeling that when it comes out, I will do the I will do the entire haunting circuit. Uh, of, now that'll it'll probably take me at least two years to do, but I, w- I would imagine. Oh, that the, okay. I thought you meant haunted go- houses and not and like these these conventions because. Uh, yeah, th- those convent they're not going anywhere. I don't. Oh think no, anything. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean I don't know that. Uh, you know, th- I I actually again this is one of those things where I have been fascinated by ghost hunters. I have attended some ghost hunts. Um, 
I've been there when people have gotten wildly excited about something they saw on a monitor that we that everyone realized was a, was a cobweb. Well, it's that funny it's, you mention that because after when I said that about the about the circuit, it was like it kind of like a light bulb went off in my head where I was like, considering how much fun I had at the cryptozoology conference, I should go check out one of these ghost conferences because uh, I'm sure it's. Also refreshing as compared to the the UFO vibe that I've been at for years. Yeah, well, again, I, you know, again, there's something wrong with ufology. With ufology, even that word, even that term is awful. But the um, there is there's just something a little. It's you just know, too I, net nostalgic retro. It's it's not you know it's very it's long in the tooth. I think I described it, it to somebody. It's long in it the is. tooth. Maybe a person will come along who will change that, but it hasn't happened yet. And until it does, you know, you know, I'm not going to worry about it. No, the, and again, not our problem. No, it's really not. Um, but the the ghost thing, I, again, I find fascinating because it's the first time since the popularity of spiritualism that ordinary people have gone out looking to interact with the dead. Mm, yeah. And. Uh, I, I must admit, I I do find it it's interesting on that level. But and of course, I you know I sometimes wonder if the people who are involved are not not doing this on purpose, but are creating the phenomena as a kind of uh, as, as a as a group psychic phenomena. It's like we a group of people want something to happen, and they're making it happen. Right. Through, right. Through, yeah. Through uh, psychic phenomena, if that's if that's even possible, but um, one thing that I've often wondered about is, I would like to take all these groups and and get them together and say, you've been doing this now for ten years. What do you know about ghosts now that you didn't know then? <laughs> and and oh. that's not being that's not being cynical. No, I know. No, that's, well, I, no, it's it's realistic. No, I mean it's it's a genuine question. It's like. When you went into this, naturally you had some preconceived ideas about what ghosts are, how they work. Uh, you know, everyone does. You yeah, know? yeah, for sure. So after you've been doing this now for 10 years, what have you learned? Right, right. Well, I liken it to sort of uh, what I've said on the show in the past where it's like we bemoan the lack of, of uh, resources, effort, time, manpower put into this stuff. But then you look at the ghost hunting thing and it's like there are – Groups of people going out every weekend around around the year looking for these things. So and we right. still don't like. Shouldn't we? We we've put an incredible amount of manpower uh, into this. If you really think about it, I mean, in, in cities all over the country, in townships, communities, there are UFO groups that go out every weekend all the time. <laughs> it's like, I mean, still there has been no breakthrough. Well, I think that's because. Uh, we're, if you look at it from that point of view, you're expecting a breakthrough, and that will never happen. Mm, yeah. It's the the it whatever this whatever these phenomena are, they are ongoing. They are a part of uh, they are part of our culture and our history, and nothing much ever really changes. Right. They just, right. They just change appearance. Now that was that was kind of my the point of the of the uh, Ape Canyon story. The all Ape Canyon is is a traditional ghost hunting story. Uh, rather, I'm sorry, a, tra- treasure a traditional hunting. treasure hunting story, in which the traditional 
monsters are replaced by Bigfoot, and the buried treasure is replaced by a gold mine, and instead of necromancy to summon the dead, they use spiritualism. Right. So it's always the same thing, it's just different packaging. And I think that that applies to the paranormal in general, and I think if you... If you're going into this with the idea that you're going to have a breakthrough or you're going to understand this, you're either going to end up crazy or burned out, or both. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, the number of people that have gone into this who have ended up crazy, burned out, or both uh, kind of proves it. Right, right, yeah. I think I, I find that some of the best people I've encountered in this are kind of like look at it where they're like, they initially think that there's nothing to it, and then they realize that there's far more to it than they could possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. And you know? it's a good idea to keep a sense of humor about it. Oh, God, yes. Well, I was thinking this as we uh, get to the end of the show, but I was thinking this because I always – I'll give a little inside uh, nugget to folks because this is the last season. A lot of times when I would have guests back on the show, it was – a big aspect of sort of like what made that a good interview was how many laughs we had on, on the program. So, uh, you know, I, I, I can say for sure, Robert, that as we close up in all of America in the seasonal format, you're, I think you'll be part of the bridge to whatever we do next because I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I had so many laughs at you, man. And like I said earlier, you really come off as a straight shooter and – and, you know, you tell it like it is, and I try to be that way myself. So I, And I can respect that in a big way. And uh, as we well, started I, talking I originally, appreciate yeah. it. And I, and I look forward to, do, to being part of it. And I'm sorry we, did, we didn't get to chat too much uh, at the conference. You know, it's, it's well, funny, though, because I was saying earlier, uh, I was so uh, enamored with the presentations earlier in the, in the, in the day that I was like uh, – I just don't want to leave this uh, this room. Then, as the day went on, I'm like, I got to get out there and see people. And that's when you went on. We kind of missed. We, we just our our paths kept uh, passing in a sense. Uh huh. Oh, but I'm glad that we got the chance to do it tonight. Oh, me too. And and like I said, I am looking forward to doing it in the future. And, oh. and I and I won't be so. Uh, you know, I'm not being so mysterious about the new book uh, because. I'm trying to... Uh, oh, I didn't think you were being mysterious. No, no, I just... I, I don't like really talking about it until it's got a real shape. <laughs> you know, I, I do respect that. No, believe me, that didn't even... It didn't even cross my mind. Oh, know? okay. So it's, it's like I said, it's... It, it, uh, I think people are going to be really interested in this, and... Uh, uh, but uh, it's it's still it's just in the uh, it's in the fetal stage so <laughs> it's just a gleam in your eye right now right? exactly exactly or maybe maybe even a gleam in the publisher's eye I, I still don't know what's <laughs> going to happen yet yeah yeah exactly but I've enjoyed uh, the stuff that I've seen from you and I like I said uh, I wish we had you on earlier but these things work out the way they do and I think when whatever incarnation this show takes on in the future you're going to be a big part of it uh, I'm sure because I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Well, like I said, I'm looking forward to it and I and we will never run out of things to talk about. I have a feeling. Now, where can folks I was confused. Where can people find more from you because you don't have a hub, you don't have like a website, you don't have a well, I a do. blog. I do. It's um I have a Facebook page called Historian of the Strange. Okay. And Historian of the Strange uh, is probably 
Uh, Historian yeah, of the Strange is probably the best place to find me. Uh, she's the I, worst, that British lady. <laughs> <laughs> I, I post something there every day. Uh, usually it's uh, old stories, weird stories, things I might want to look into. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's contemporary stuff. It's really whatever I'm interested in. It's right, my, right. You know, It's my Facebook page. So, uh, And people seem to like that. So that's a good place to go, Historian of the Strange. Nice. On Facebook. On Facebook. Right. And, of course, if they're interested in my books, they are at Amazon and in Barnes & Noble and things like that. Awesome, awesome. She may go over the thing, but we can just uh, – it's, it's, she didn't cut us off right at the, at, the, okay. uh, at the hour mark. But anyway, thank you so much, dude. I really do appreciate it. And uh, if you ever come back up in the area, please let me know. You know, I will. I will search for the Phantom Bullet with you. Uh, in, oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> in Gloucester. Uh, yeah, I, I, have I, you I, been I, up I, here at all? Because I feel like you'd love Salem. No, no. I, I visited Salem once, uh, and I was actually hoping to write a piece on it, but I actually got overwhelmed. And I, I wasn't – I've never really sorted out everything I want to say about it. Well, I, I, I invite many people up here, and I'll include you now on the list. If you ever want to come up, man, just come up and uh, – you can crash at my place. It's I, a, a very I nice place. I, I, I can give you references of, of, <laughs> of people I, I in the community who have stayed here. So, you know, um, yeah, and I, I'd love to. Uh, yeah, I'd love to host you up here, and we'll, we'll go check out all that stuff and figure Great. it out. Yeah, and there's a lot of cool stuff like America Stonehenge uh, is only an hour away from here. I don't okay, know just don't be surprised if a fat man with a beard shows up at your door one day. <laughs> I require at least a couple days' notice. Okay. Like, <laughs> get the get the spare bedroom ready, but uh-huh. uh, yeah, man, I really I wish we had uh, more time to talk in Portland, but I'm glad uh, it led to this because this is kind of like now I'm in my own. <laughs> I don't know how you feel like how you were kind of intimating the same thing. But it's like now I'm kind of comfortable. I'm in my pajamas and I'm talking to you on my phone, and it's like <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it, it's it's a big difference. Yeah, I'm not in a, I'm not in the conference room in a hotel, so I'm kind of like not Although, like uh, uh, I, I which, I, which I don't that, mind. Believe me, I don't mind. But you know what I mean. No, no, that was that was actually a very comfortable place. That's true. No, that is true. Absolutely, but not as comfortable as my pajamas. No. <laughs> Um, anyway, so thank you very much, and folks can find you on Facebook, uh, and, um, you, but you don't have a, like a, a, I'm, I'm confounded that you don't have like a, a, a website, uh, just to draw people to be on Facebook. Mm, no, not Too really. I, uh, I'm, I'm strangely private, you know? Yeah. It, it's just a peculiar thing. I, I, I like my Facebook page, and, uh, uh, I'm not a mystery man or anything, but... I just I just do my writing and I do my Facebook page and at this point Do you really write at the McDonald's? Is that like Yeah, I write at a McDonald's if that's what's available. I, I've written I wrote most of the President's Vampire in a McDonald's. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, right, and I wrote a lot of uh I wrote a lot of Mrs. Wakeman versus the Antichrist at a pizzeria. Now, when you wrote, when you put the book out, did you thank the staff at the McDonald's? In the, uh, if you if you go to the acknowledgments, uh, I say uh, yes, I, I I thank them because they were all very nice to me, huh. and uh, they didn't care if I sat there for four hours. They kept refilling my soda glass, and uh, I they knew were I knew you would. Yeah, those. <laughs> yeah, that's how I am, man. You got to respect those folks. They are uh, salt of the earth. So, yep. All right. 
Well, thank you very much for doing the show, brother, and uh, I will, uh, I'll be in touch. And if you ever Great. need anything, please. I'm looking forward to it. All right, man. Have a good night. Right. You too. Bye-bye. There you go, folks. That was Robert Schneck. Amazing episode. I wish we had had him on earlier uh, in the uh, history of Banal of America. That was, uh, that was one that we, we dropped the ball on. Like I say, uh, like I said, when we had Nick Redfern on, that was another guest that I was always like, oh, we should have had Nick Redfern on more. We should have built a, an annual episode out of, uh, around Nick Redfern. And that's kind of just just talking to him just now. I feel about about Robert Schneck. We we had so many laughs. He's the kind of guy that would have been a, a good guest for uh, a summer barbecue episode or something like that uh, every year. So, but who knows? Whatever happens in the future with Banal of America, you just maybe uh, be celebrating uh, the Fourth of Schneck or something in the future. So, stay tuned. Right. Um, on that note. I don't know who we're going to have next week on the program. I'm pretty sure I know, but I haven't locked it in yet. It's another first-time guest. It's a huge departure uh, for the show, in a sense, but it's also um, someone uh, who I'm looking forward to talking to and someone who has a lot to offer as far as paranormal insights and just uh, really unique life insights. And uh, hopefully, if we can't get it next week, we'll get it the week after and I think it's somebody who in the future you'll be like, oh, my God, I remember that guy. So it's going to be one of those first-time guests. And uh, if we can't get it done next Tuesday, hopefully we'll get it done the following Tuesday uh, as we go through a string here of first-time guests, folks you haven't heard, but folks you should be watching for. Uh, I, I'm way late to the dance on Robert Schneck. I mean, they made a movie out of uh, one of his articles or uh, one of his pieces so, you know, but the guy is amazing. And thank you to Rojan and Lobo from Project Archivist, who recommended uh, way back uh, when that I get Robert on the show. And I actually told him at the time, I have, t- I have like, two rules, man. I have, like, two rules. I don't have guests on that ask to come on the show. And I generally shy away from guest recommendations from, like, other hosts. So it was like, oh, no, dude, you cursed him. Um, but it's the final season, so all rules are out the window. And I knew when I encountered him at the ICC-17 that, uh, that I was like, this is kismet, man. This is, this is fate that we've been brought together here in Portland, Maine. And I got to get him on the show so we can talk about uh, his research, his stories. And I loved it. I really did enjoy that conversation quite a bit. So thank you to Robert Schneck for coming on the show. And uh, thank you to everyone for listening. Until next time, this is Tim Benall, signing off.